0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am authorized to assure you that so far there is no reasonable cause for alarm. The rumors of invading armies and mass destruction are based on hysteria and are absolutely false. I repeat, these
1: rumors are absolutely false. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K Applegate's nineteen ninety-six book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman.
0: And my name's Mitchell, and today we have
1: a Marco book. Woot woot. We've been waiting for one. We always look forward to Marco books. Yeah, I mean they're great. They're just guaranteed to be a good time. Uh, either that or like super dark and morose. Uh, exactly. I mean the last the time
0: others. we saw Marco, he was pushing his mom off a
1: cliff. So And who doesn't remember that great mother-daughter? Mother, son. <laughs> <line> <laughs> <moment>. <laughs> Who knows what they are? Um, <laughs> it's just—it's very confusing. There's aliens involved, parasites. You know the drill.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> right on. So that's uh, that's why this time we're talking episode uh, or book thirty-five, the proposal. Um, boy, I wonder what that could infer.
1: Honestly, I did not think about what it actually ended up, uh, up referencing. I did—that didn't even cross my mind. Oh
0: them. yeah well the most obvious one uh, answer is, is exactly what I thought of it was in reference to Marco's father and uh, that's really the the bulk of this book's plot And you know what uh, going through this thing, I think it it really harkened back to the beginning of the series when they just went on these kind of you know random weekly missions
1: um, yeah and they had it, it was like, like a, a big, big conflict back home.
0: Yeah, it wasn't like a big, like uh, earth-shattering event. It's just them kind of trying to bring down this one controller, like like normal anamorph business, right? Um, and you know, uh, the things that go wrong with that. And uh, for yeah. that reason, it it really reminded me of an earlier book. Like I think I think this book could have fit in at really any point in the series up till now. Like that's the kind of adventure it felt to me.
1: It feels As- like aside it's one from. Of the-
0: aside from having to, you know, have all the visor 1 stuff have happened already.
1: Yeah, it feels like one of the ones that could have happened in like the teens, you know, 11 through 19 of the series. Exactly. Uh, just trying to find their footing, do an off mission, you know, Marcus' mom, oh no. That sort of thing.
0: <laughs> so, let's uh the way we start out this thing is uh by usually talking about the covers and uh I think that's a good place to start here. Wouldn't you
1: say? I do, and from this cover is how I always recognize this one. I didn't know the name of it, but I knew the the cover with Marco turning into a poodle was derided and and scorned by the general fan community.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. This is this and is not one of, of the strongest covers <laughs> as far as the series is concerned. Here we've got Marco just kind of standing there, you know, half chilling, half grimacing. Uh, uh, yeah, turning into a poodle and. You know, it's dumb enough that it has to be a poodle, but it's also got the little bows in its hair. And it's in this pose where it's like <laughs> up on its hinders begging. And uh, the, the background are just these kind of normal looking clouds, but it's very bleak. It's, uh, I don't know. It, it's like I said, not a strong cover.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, there's not much to say about it. It's not particularly good looking. It's not particularly bad looking. It's just Marco turning into a poodle book.
0: The cover quote, What's on Your Mind? Um, may, I guess, apply. It, it, it works. They, they did an okay job of. picking from the list this time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. What's the inside cover look like? Tell it to us who all have the book in front of us. Uh,
0: okay. I'm guessing that means your book is lost in the ether somewhere. But the yeah, inside cover. Plane. <laughs> the inside cover actually depicts uh, kind of a scene, sort of. From the the book, I mean, it's in a TV studio, right? And there's a camera, which honestly looks a lot like the uh, the camera, the same pedestal that I used to operate um, when I worked at the uh, TV station. Kind of cool. Um, anyway, hmm. the 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 poodle's like in front of the camera, and by that I mean like in front of where you'd stand to operate the camera. So technically, it'd be behind the camera. Um, and there's like a, uh... Look at all these, uh,
1: (laughs) technical terms you're throwing around.
0: (laughs) (laughs) in front of, behind, (laughs) truck, pan, tilt, yes. Um, and you know, there's this silhouette of a man kind of going after the dog, so it's sort of a scene. Um, the big draw here is that there's a a whole bunch of little TV screens with, uh, separate art, and as I learned from the Seropedia entry, this is actually, uh, the screens inside, uh, on the inside cover here, um... Uh, show the pieces of the illustrator who is named David Mattingly. Um, his, uh, illustrations that he'd done, you know, non animorphs related. Um, like you can see his cat in there and there's, uh, another picture of a, a subway wizard, I guess. Um, so yeah. that's kind of interesting. I mean, it was a cool
1: idea. Yeah. See that. Um, uh, but that, yeah, not, not much, uh, to write home about, about this cover in general. Um, do you want to read the back of the workforce yes i do
0: i always do though i can never remember who read the last one i think i read the last one to be honest with you because we, we made fun I, of I think, how uh, how many terms think, they threw out in that thing
1: i think you're gonna need to read the back of this one too
0: <laughs> okay okay i got gotcha. you i got gotcha, you pal here we go this is the proposal ready Marco already knows he has a few problems. The constant battle with the Yerks, finding out his mother was infested, and is now Vizzer One, the leader of the Yerk invasion of Earth. But things are about to get even weirder. Marco's father is thinking about getting married again. Meanwhile, the Animorphs and Axe have other things to worry about. It seems the Yerks are trying harder than ever to get people into the sharing. Now the kids have to find a way to slow down recruitment. But Marco's personal stress is causing him to morph into creatures that don't exist, Creatures the Yerks are sure to notice and attack. Uh, yeah, that kind of kind of summarizes it pretty well, actually. Um, it's just yeah, like a um, jumble of plot lines that are <laughs> happening together, and they, they all kind of think it's, form into a conduit in this book.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's no secret that this book leads directly into Vizer. Um, It was kind of a secret for me
0: uh, as I was reading it, to be honest with you. I didn't remember this book at all. Uh, I don't remember if I'd read it a long time ago or if I just read it recently for the first time. It's like we had discussed a little bit before recording here. It's kind of a forgettable book. And, And we'll talk a little bit about that, though. We both had positive feelings coming out of it. Um, so we're yeah. gonna be on a little journey of self-discovery to discover what we really thought about this book
1: <laughs> okay but, I think we've but, both got our I wanted scores to say in that mind already I wanted to say that uh, because in my mind they kind of missed the mark on if they were gonna lead if they knew they were gonna lead into a book like Visor, um I kind of wish this would this book would have pushed more of the um I don't know the the interesting things about Visor like uh the sharing if we would have seen the kind of like a modern day duality story with with what's important to the next book um i don't know i they, they they could they have tied it up, into visor a little bit
0: more sure sure yeah um in fact the, the the scene that happens later in visor it would have been really cool if they'd have found a way to include that in this um yeah but uh uh we'll get we'll get to that that's uh yeah Okay, so let's see. Um, read the back. Uh, usually we just start at the beginning of the plot. Um, right?
1: <laughs> that is how we do these episodes we've been doing for years at this point. Well,
0: I don't know. At this, it's, at this point, it's been a while. We'll see. Um <laughs> You know, these things always start out with their recaps as they do and um, <clears throat> kind of uh, sometimes they go on little pseudo submissions like that last book did. And other times they just start out with uh, the main characters just sort of chilling at home like Marco's doing here, um, hanging out, playing video games with his dad. And, you know, they're having a good old time and he's doing his narration. And, uh, and then, you know, something different happens, which is Marco's uh, dad's girlfriend. Calls and interrupts them, and we get you know the instant feeling that Marco is is not okay with this uh, change here, and he goes on to explain, of course, all about Visor One and everything that happened there. But um, the bigger problem is that this also sets up the plot of a very prominent controller who is on TV now telling people to come down and join the sharing. And he's basically becoming the new public face of the sharing. And that's, you know, that doesn't sit well with the Animorphs. So Marco is immediately alerting Jake and uh, the rest of the team about this. Boom. Set up. Yeah. Set
1: it up. What do you think? (laughs) It set it up really well, too. And this, I like this idea of this TV figure, you know, if if Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel went on his late night show and was like, hey, by the way, you know, well, like
0: kind of. Yes and no. I mean, this is more like this, <laughs> this, this is more like Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz kind of becoming yeah, a, a, a public figure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's sets up the plot right there. And like I would said earlier, this feels just like one of their older missions. Like nothing's really it doesn't seem like the fate of the earth is at stake. It's just another way that they got to slow down the invasion. Right.
1: Yeah, and uh, right away, um, you know, when they all meet up, uh, go to meet up with everybody, Marco has uh, a little trouble, a little trouble in his uh, morphine that makes up a a large subplot of this book. Oh, yeah, this is
0: um, is C-plot stuff here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but it's interesting because it seems like we would have seen if this this, uh, mishap is what they say it is, it seems like we would have already seen this happen with one of the other animorphs.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I thought it felt um, it felt a little odd that this comes up now at this le- so late in the game here. Um, and what you're referring to, of course, is uh, uh, Marco's trying to morph into a bird to uh, fly off to their meeting, and he ends up doing this hybrid bird lobster morph. Um, which actually forces him to, because he's so uneasy about this, he, he rides his bike to Cassie's, um, which is kind of humorous. He brings it up in the next chapter. But you
1: gotta think of anything, anything uh, that messes with their morphine probably freaks. Morphine itself is already scary enough, but anytime they feel like they're getting trapped in the two-hour limit or anything that would mess with morphine at all, I, that that would probably be pretty, uh, that probably be pretty terrifying.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and you know, there's always the fear that maybe <clears throat> something goes wrong with the technology. Like, okay, for one for one thing, at one point they were randomly sucked into Z space when morphing just happened to go yeah. wrong. So there's always the chance something that could go wrong. And I mean, he could get stuck as a hybrid, like for whatever yeah. reason.
1: When your when, laf- when your laptop messes up, you know, you don't get stuck into some crazy horrifying morph uh, for the rest of your life. So. Well, you a different don't
0: scenario. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, the animors have a, a meeting Cassie's barn like they always do. They're they're trying to discuss how they're going to ruin this man, uh, uh, William Roger Tenet, uh, how they're going to ruin his career and get him booted off the air. That's kind of what they want. Um, and, you know, uh, I will say that a lot of the characters, you could say that they've changed, but they just don't feel like the way they used to, like. Marco's obviously upset about his morphing thing, so he gets a little pass for kind of his rude behavior because he shows up and, you know, Rachel and Tobias are complaining about missing, like, Gilmore Girls or something. And, you know, Marco <laughs> takes a pretty hard stab at him, which I, I thought was pretty cruel. You know, he he's makes fun of him and says something like, oh, Rachel's eating something while Tobias is eating roadkill and watching Gilmore Girls. And, you know, Rachel really uh, uh, takes offense to that and, and lashes out at him. Um, and he even makes a point to say, like, oh, I probably went a little far on that one. But it's just one instance of the characters kind of being different. You know what I mean? Did you get that vibe when you like were reading just, over this?
1: Yeah. There's yeah, another I, I point, did. too,
0: where they're on a mission and, and um, where they're on the mission. And uh, Rachel says, um, uh, get a grip, Marco, or I'm telling Jake to pull you off this mission right now. Like... <laughs> Very, very unracial. Rachel like
1: bow down to Jake as the leader. Yeah. Um,
0: um, so, like weird little instances like that that I noticed, and you know, you could explain it away by saying, wow, the kids are all on edge at this point, and they are changing." Um, I think Jake himself really acts like you know that advanced leader that he's he's becoming now in this book. I'll give you a good example of that later too during the mission. Um, but uh, little things like that kind of rub me the wrong same way. Same thing
1: with Cassie. I think Cassie shows a weird streak in this book, too, where she kind of. um,
0: Well, actually, I like I like Cassie's uh, uh, everything they do with Cassie in this. book. I like when they make characters that don't interact often interact. And the case in point here, yeah, is like you say, Cassie keeps coming to Marco and like trying to talk to him and and walk him through this stuff because she sees him going through all this. And, you know, she's like the mother of the team. Right. That's her role. Um, So I actually dug that. I I like seeing those characters interact I think it's
1: weird. It takes a turn later on in the book that we'll get to that I think is un-Cassie-like. But but whatever. Sure. Um,
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I, I know what you mean, I think, towards the end. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that's cool. There's a little bit of conflict there between Cassie and Jake and even Marco. And um, it's just it's all very mixed. This book is a mixed bag, if anything,
1: right? (sighs) A bag of mixed anamorphs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, uh, that they themselves are mixed in hybrid morphs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, like you said, Marco kind of um, tells a little bit of his uh, problem. To Cassie with his dad and him starting to date again she gives him some life lessons and
0: yeah they're uh, like they're like scoping you know. out uh, uh, the controller tenant and they're like just flying around in bird morph they'd been surveilling him for like three days and this was an opportunity that the first opportunity that Cassie takes to talk to Marco about his, his daddy drama his home life yeah, drama and,
1: yeah and you know not much they can do with that this early in the book but it, it sets the sets the tone for what's later to come
0: Sure. And then the next scene is kind of like, uh, again, I felt like it was a, a callback to the olden days where they're like, OK, we have to acquire a new morph. It's cockatiel because Tenet's a cockatiel man and and break in to a place. And, and you know, that's what they do. They, they <laughs> acquire these cockatiels and uh, steal away, hide out inside of his house and fly around and observe him for a little bit. And it leads to kind of another sort of uh, uh, action-y-esque scene. I'd say, yeah, a small yeah, scale it's an action scene, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it's like the the mid book action scene to kind of break up the the story because at this point it's just a lot of talking,
1: right? Yeah, this does. I think this does um, call back to what you're saying, like how this feels like an earlier book because the mission, the first mission they go on in this book is recon, basically, and yep. uh, it's very small scale. They're just going into a guy's house. It's not, you know death defying they probably won't get killed on this mission but uh you know they're they're intruding somewhere and they feel like kids doing that and it's it, i thought it was interesting and like you said a call back to the old ones
0: yeah and you know they're they're spying on him and uh rachel is even so bold that she like lands on his head <laughs> and uh and while they're while they're watching him he conveniently gets a call from Visor three um, and then this, you know, causes Marco to, he starts losing control of his morph and like, not like demorphing or anything, but just like he squeaks. He's a cocktail. He starts squeaking like they do. And uh, and then he poops on Tenet's desk. <laughs> this really pisses him off and uh, he's not going to kill him or anything until Visitor 3 is like, kill him. So uh, <laughs> he, he goes about doing that and uh, this is how the, the mission goes bad. Marco's, you know, in a little cockatiel morph getting choked.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's, um, you know, this guy's supposed to be a pacifist. He's an animal rights activist, all this stuff, and um, so having his Yurk just trying to kill this bird is a uh, is a funny turn on that.
0: Sure, and you know that's like really the crux of this uh, uh, mission idea is that you know he's such a well-renowned pacifist and animal lover that they want to show him. Explicitly being bad to animals, and they think that's what's going to ruin his career. Um, so they get out of this mess when uh, Rachel kind of intervenes and saves Marco by swooping in and taking uh, uh, Tenet's toupee, which he apparently wears. Um, and then uh, everybody comes in in battle morphs, and it's very, you know, battly for a little bit. And Marco's about to join the fight when uh, uh, he wants to go gorilla, but again, he does this hybrid morph, uh, making a gorilla trout. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> so he's not really able to do it, and everybody bails, and um, you know he demorphs and bails with them as well. And uh, this is the point, though, when they figure out something's going on with him because Tobias and and others see his bizarre morph, and then after the mission, they give him a real strong, stern talking to about his problems.
1: Well, as they should. I mean, you agree that. There is nothing, like no reason why he shouldn't have told them that something was wrong with his morphine, right? Sure, like, but at that Marco's point pride. it had only happened
0: once. And I mean, yeah, yeah but- he he very well could have been like, Oh hey guys, by the way, uh on the way to morph here, or I I, you know, didn't do it quite right, that's why I rode my bike. Um But he he's the afraid of getting pulled it off, from though. the missions.
1: well yeah the book plays it off that he's afraid to be pulled from a mission which is i think right there is very unmarco like and uh also just it's kind of like a pride thing it's like well i can handle it i'll I'll get this under control and it's like i don't know it just seems like anything like this that would endanger a mission marco being one of the very logical realist members of the animorphs he could die if something goes wrong on a mission they all know that so why why risk it
0: Exactly. Well, and, you know, I think he doesn't want to be removed from the mission and he just wants to ignore. He doesn't want to confront the fact that it's it's his home situation that's causing him this stress. he wants to ignore that home situation and not think about it and just escape from it and have everything work out, which we know can't happen. Uh, So. You know, I think it was really cool, though, that they they even called back to when everybody's given Marco shit about this. um, Rachel specifically jumps down his throat about it and he brings up "Uh, you uh, lied to us one time about the uh, the crocodile fiasco, um, which, of course, is like book 12. Um, So that was a cool callback. It's nice that we're, you know, blending in a little bit of the continuity. Um, Not every book necessarily has callbacks like that so yeah. good on ya, good on ya. Um, and then there's this weird like sub chapter where you know marco goes home after the meeting and he sees a car in his driveway and like his, <laughs> the garage door is open so he immediately suspects that like Yerkes are are attacking <laughs> um, which i guess is very realistic okay they got to be very paranoid these kids now and any little alterations like this would be normal right but um, you know, I don't. I just don't get why it wouldn't enter his mind that, of course, that's his dad's new girlfriend come over,
1: um, which yeah, is, is it, what happened. But I guess you know at you this point, at any point in this, at this huh. point, yeah, or any point in the book, does uh, does he do he ever question whether she's a yerk or not? He
0: he How brings it up. That? He does bring it up uh, very briefly in the beginning. He says they had the the team. Um, they're not stupid. They had the whole team watch her for three days and she didn't go into any of York pool locations they know of. So, um, he mm. has the assumption that she's clean. <laughs> she's, okay. she ain't no control. I best.
1: swear, I swear I read this book. Uh, this is, this is one of those books that just went one, one eye, uh, one and I went in one eye and out the other. Uh, you know like- what?
0: I, I think... They keep Nora, his dad's girlfriend, around for a couple of books. But I know that, you know, towards the last 10, like the countdown books, I know she gets taken as a controller at one point. And, you know, this is even the the sort of, I think, the way that the series justifies (laughs) having Marco's dad leave her and, you know, go back with his first wife. Um, Spoilers, I guess. When that happens. Yeah, I mean,
1: I never read this book before. I always read Vizzer, but I never read the book that led into it. And, sure. Um, so
0: at some point in the series for you, his, his dad just yeah. acquired a new <laughs> wife.
1: <laughs> no, no, I never read a book after this one that talks about Marco's dad having a new wife.
0: Oh well, so I don't. The, I don't the, really the only, recall how much it's mentioned either.
1: Yeah, the only thing I knew, um, you know, the books I read when I was a kid and in college or whatever, and then the end of the series was that at some point his mom gets freed. Um, I, there was no middle wife in there for me
0: <laughs> right yeah I don't know I thought this book was where visitor one got freed but you know obviously that's not the case what with visitor yeah um, anyway so Nora's there and she's got this annoying uh, uh, poodle that's named like Roscoe or Bosco or some stupid <laughs> it's got a really stupid <laughs> stupid name um, yeah I, I, the the whole point of it is that it's really annoying Marco hates it. And it's just an annoying dog. Um, he, he, he does acquire it, though, as he uh, encounters it this time because it's so annoying. You know, that acquiring puts it into a trance.
1: Um, yeah, he's trying to keep it from biting his shin off.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's annoying the piss out of it. And you know what? Just from this one encounter, I think Nora's a shit character. Um, I, I know they probably just had to be very brief in writing her, but the whole way this scene goes down when, like, Marco comes in and his dad and Nora are there, like, snuggling on the couch or whatever, and just their whole interaction is, is not a very strong interaction from Nora's characterization.
1: It doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like they're incredibly concerned with building up her character at all.
0: No, no, not at all. And the fact that her dog is like all over Marco attacking, biting his legs and stuff. And she's just like, oh, knock it off, you know, (laughs) or something. Like she doesn't do enough to remove the dog from the situation. But I I can understand why they'd want to skip over that. Um, It's it's the least important part, probably. Nora's characterization. Screw her. She doesn't even get her own book.
1: (laughs) Um But, I don't know. They just wanted her to be a foil for Marco and make him feel things. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they actually wanted to... Expand the cast.
0: <laughs> That's right. It, it is all about uh, how this makes Marco feel and the situation it puts him in. Um, the cool thing, I guess, uh, about this book is when it's mission time, they're actually going back to a location that they visited in an earlier book that they mentioned.
1: And it's it, actually the vis- That was cool. They're going back to the... The place from the, hotel the David trilogy. They, uh, the- yeah. I thought that was really cool. and I could I don't know. It really helped me picture it more because they go into detail in, uh, in the thread or whichever... Um- Whichever David trilogy that was, but um, just seeing the banquet hall and like picturing their other mission in it, I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. And, and you know, it's definitely a, a very, very different style mission that they're on here this time um, because it's this big banquet event where uh, Tenet is being honored for something and. And, um, and another big band there is there, and this really dates this book, because if, if you're a modern-day reader just discovering this, you're probably like, who the heck is Hanson? <laughs> and, then, and then you'd have to Google it, uh, and you'd probably find out that oh Hanson's gosh, yeah. still making music, and, and the majority of it's pretty dang good, actually.
1: <laughs> I, found out, I found out well after I married my wife. How big of a Hanson fan she was back in the day. I feel like that's something you disclose when you're dating. You know, <laughs> but not, I think it's just an
0: assumption that, that she, you know anyone that was that age range in the the '90s there when they were big uh, was pretty into them. And you know what? If you doubt Hanson is capable of making decent music, just do a YouTube search for their song. Uh, I think it's called "Down." Uh, that's the one that kind of won me over. But I mean, it's I, up to I your haven't your heard taste. much
1: else. I haven't heard much else of theirs. All I know is that when I was in third grade, the whole world was uh, boys to men and Hanson. <laughs> sure. so.
0: Well, either way, my friend, Hansen gets to play a nice cameo in this book. I wonder if they were consulted about that. Do you think no. that would be a good episode? Nope. That would be a good question to ask uh, uh, Michael Grant or K.A. when we get them in uh, another interview the next time.
1: I think they were fast and loose with the pop culture references. I don't think they reached out to anybody.
0: Uh, yeah, but you know what? Hanson is almost like a character in the book because they're they're first of all they're in the book, Barely. and and they they have dialogue.
1: <laughs> it's true. Maybe they were fans and they wrote in or like, hey, we'd love to be in a book. It's
0: possible. It's very. But see, we gotta ask them. We gotta ask them next time. <laughs> we need
1: to get Hanson on the podcast. There you Guest go. Interview.
0: Hansen, talk to us about your animorphs experience. <laughs> uh, I saw a cover once.
1: <laughs> we have a new CD out. That's that, that's what we we're here for.
0: <laughs> well, how many of the songs are about animorphs and morphing?
1: <laughs> Only <She animals>. one. <laughs> tell us, tell us about animals, Hansen. <laughs> um,
0: so the, anyway, the whole mission here, on. the whole idea, and this is kind of a. a I don't know if it's a strong positive or a negative for this book because the mission's almost played out very humorously with, um, they go in and kind of infiltrate in, in Roach and bug morph like they normally do. Um, they, they form the dumbest plan ever, I think to, to basically put some of the Animorphs as Roaches and Bugs in his salad and, and deliver it to, to Tenet. So I don't know what he'll see the bugs and freak out and then his reputation's ruined. I don't know. That's what they expect to happen, and that's the plan. And uh, I think ma- this is
1: a this is a very weird. I don't know if it's just the current climate uh, we live in as far as like celebrities and stuff, but it's very weird to me that any of this stuff would ruin a uh, celebrity's per, uh, on-air personality. No, yeah, or, and or get you may kicked off or anything.
0: Exactly, you make such a good point that uh uh by i'm sure the you know late 90s early 2000s standards like seeing a celebrity freak out in public maybe might be detrimental to their career nowadays i think it would give them a boost in popularity yeah now it's good
1: now it's good tv oh yeah like yeah that it
0: would be a completely different thing uh modern day now and that's really interesting it's another way this uh series kind of ages uh, unexpectedly
1: um, yeah, they didn't realize how dark and horrifying the world was about to get.
0: <laughs> right? I know! They could make this plot so much more terrifying now if they just moved it into present days. Um, so, you know, we got Marco kind of hamming it up here in this situation as he uh, uh, like incapacitates a busboy and takes a <laughs> outfit to kind of blend in yeah. <laughs> and try and deliver the salad to Tenet himself. And um, uh, you know, he, he tries to, he wants to go, um, he gets the the salad to where he thinks it's going to be delivered to Tenet, and then he goes off to kind of morph into a spider, because the the second plot, or the point of this mission, is that he's going to also lower himself down onto Tenet's salad from above, or something, as a spider, Um,
1: it doesn't work out. His plans are great. Yeah. No,
0: (laughs) it's, it's, it's very nonsensical when you really start to talk about it. Um, but he tries morphing into a spider and and ends up a a spider skunk hybrid. And then here's another part that sort of harkens back to the beginning of the series when they were like constantly getting found by people, ordinary people who would like, Mm -hmm. you know, freak out and react to them. And, again, we got Marco committing a huge no-no of talking to people in Morph. Oh, yeah. Um, because he, he tries to, you know, sort of convince him to leave him alone. Um, and then he ends up demorphing right in front of him and scares them all off. Uh, conveniently, again, they're not controllers, so it's okay. Uh, but they could very easily become controllers, you know? And you know what? Yeah, In be- fact, I would say that that would be a smart, strategic Plan for the Yerks to whenever there's an Andalite Bandit incident, take controllers from the entire incident, make everyone who was a witness a controller and see if any of them caught anything, check their memory banks for for anything weird, because then they would find people that, oh, yeah, Yeah, I did see an an animal demorph into a human.
1: Like boom. that'd be incredibly smart of the Yurks. Yeah, that would be a great thing to do every time. Like that's their follow up to every single calamity. But uh, honestly, you just made me want to see a alternative book where. Uh, Ooh, hashtag! Like, I want that the- book. Yeah, yeah, we're about to go into one. Uh, an alternative book, Animorphs aren't even present in it. All right, you don't start out with my name is Jake. You start out with like my name is Jared.
0: Oh, you know. dude! I've already had this idea, and I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah, a, a, a mission from the perspective of an innocent bystander, basically, where it's just like,
1: <laughs> where it's just like aliens barging in, and then animals. Well, I was gonna say, my hashtag. I want that book. Um, well, you, you have a character you don't know. Start out the book or his perspective, and he's someone who gets like pulled into the sharing, or or you know, he gets involuntarily taken by the Yurks and turns into a Yurk, and they get some huge chunk of information about the Animorphs from him. Uh, Like, he's someone who heard them talk or something like that. And it's just this whole... Like, the whole book would be, like, leading up to... Uh, him actually be taken as a Yurk and then switch over to the Animorphs' perspective and them having to deal with it. Something like that. They could have played with the styles of these books so much. Okay, even better. You,
0: you've just, yeah, you've given me an idea. Okay, it's basically what you said. It's a person who is just an innocent bystander uh, who who the Yurks have taken hostage and, you know, they sort through his memories. They find out, oh, he talked to, a, a like, a spider that, you know, was demorphing before he ran off. Yeah. And then they, they throw them in a pit with, like, two, three other humans. And they're all like, what the hell? Why do, they, why do they take us? Why are we here? You know, and they're trying to figure it out. And they come to realize that the three of them, or four of them, however many of them, were all witnesses to something like that. Like the, you know, the Andalite bandits demorphing or whatever. And uh, I don't know where you take it from there, but that's kind of a cool idea.
1: I'm Good job, us. That's what, that's what happens next.
0: Hashtag collaboration.
1: Yeah. No, I mean it's just I because of their focus on perspective in this series, they could have done a, a ton of really excuse me. They could have done a, a lot of really original scripts uh and like messing with the format. But, you know, and they they did a couple times. It's not like they're not doing that. But I would
0: like to see a little I would like to see Animorphs propelled to the height of popularity as like Star Wars and Star Trek so that other our uh, authors could be invited to into the franchise to sort of write their own scenarios. Um, and then yeah. we'd get to see a lot more of these little side stories that would be really super interesting. Um, so uh, the plot obviously goes awry when uh, uh, the salad with the animorphs in it is supposed to go to Tenet instead goes to Hansen. And Hansen. Like I said, they get, they get, you know, a little bit of page time here Devoted to Hanson, kind of having their freak out, and uh, uh, it doesn't really shake Tenet, you know. And for some reason, the mission's not directly over here. Um, they they've got one more chance to kind of freak out Tenet, and they send in Axe in human morph, which is like <laughs> just a horrible idea. <laughs> and it's so funny. I really appreciated this part of the book where Marco and Axe are, you know, both part of the banquet, acting as busboys, and. Marco is unfortunately coerced into like doing kitchen tasks for this head chef guy and he gets locked out of the building and he can hear like the whole team talking about the mission uh through thought speak and Axe is like obviously causing a freak out but he, because he's been ordered <laughs> to clear the humans plates which he interprets as eating the food off of it and so Marco's like locked out in a back alley like no 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 I got to get back in there and he's like <laughs> t- desperately trying to get back in and stop Axe um, that, was, that was probably the most enjoyable part of this book, really. Um, because no, gets that was, in it was there well-written, and, in that and, part. Uh, th- the mission doesn't go too well from there. He, he finds Axe, and, and there's kind of a humorous scene where they're like, well, screw this. We're not busboys anymore. And they sit down at Tenet's table, and uh, <laughs> Marco makes Axe sit on his lap. He like pulls him down to his lap. He's like, it's okay, we're close. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, the, the whole ending part of that scene was the best part of the mission. I mean... Hanson aside, um, I like how it wrapped up and moved on. And and then we got... Um,
0: but there's such a dumb element to this this plot here, this mission here, where the rest of the Animorphs decide, okay, this time we're going to go flee and uh, get ourselves onto Tenet's head and just like bite him and really irritate him and, and make him itch. And Tenet gets up on stage and gives a speech, and he's mildly itchy and discomfortable, but that's really the base of it that's that's they're not able to accomplish what they needed to here
1: i I don't it's 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 almost like the animorphs have reverted back to their um former selves like right after they got their powers and they were still thinking like kids because they're coming up with these wacky ideas that shouldn't work by anyone's standard and i think they're much more evolved at this point um as strategists and and as you know warriors and I don't know why they're trying these wacky hijinks uh, on this guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, there's a moment <clears throat> where Jake is, is the overbearing, almost, leader, where it seems like Marco and Axe are kind of goofing off, and he's like, okay, everybody, pull together. I get serious on this. Like, he's he's a lot more no-nonsense now, whereas he used to maybe throw in a, a casual joke every now and again on a mission. Yeah. Um, So with this mission failing horribly and the team not really knowing what to do and with us moving into, you know, the almost end of the third act of this book, (laughs) we've got no resolution. Um, But what we do get is another Cassie coming over to talk to Marco scene. Um, And this one lasts for quite a while, actually. Uh, It's just I mean, I like it. I, I like that one of the Animorphs cares enough to approach him completely on her own and, and talk to him about his troubles. Like that's something they all need to be doing for each other. I'm sure that, that Rachel and Tobias, they have each other. They can talk about things like this together. Cassie and Jake are obviously a couple and talking about things. Marco gets left on his own a lot. You got to realize, um, he doesn't yeah, have he does. anyone to talk to about this kind of stuff. And furthermore, even if he did like with Cassie trying to make the, the, the connection here, he, he fights it. He doesn't want people to see well, him has, serious. He and has impaired. Jake.
1: Jake and, Jake and Marco are paired up quite yeah,
0: a bit. Yeah, but another thing this um, book does is really drive home the distance that's forming between them. Because uh, towards the end, you know, Jake even is like, man, I'm, I'm your best friend. You, you can talk to me about this stuff or, or, you know, you feel like you should. But you get the impression that Marco doesn't feel that way anymore. You know, he's he's not best friend Jake anymore. He's he's leader Jake.
1: It's I don't know. It's it's weird though with Cassie. I like the moments you have with Cassie and Marco because, like you said, it's so different and it's just not what we're used to.
0: Like I said, with no resolution and and we're running out of pages here. I like that the team is just like okay, screw it. You know what? We tried doing the sneaky infiltration method to to ruin his career. Now we're just going to send Marco in and Poodle Morph and just annoy the crap out of Tenet every opportunity we get. So <laughs> they basically stalk him for like the next three days. Marco mentions how he's been chasing Tenet around every time he goes running uh, in his Poodle Morph for like three days. Well, he, he only
1: tells them that because uh, this is the part that I thought was weird. Cassie tells on him. Uh, she tells the, the other Animorphs the, uh, the problems he's been having at home. And uh, it's just a quick, it's just a quick blur or whatever, but it's, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on with the morphs and uh, if, if Marco is still safe to do anything or whatever. And, uh, yeah, you have, you have a moment where Cassie, like, reveals his personal secrets to everybody. And I thought it was just very un-Cassie-like. Sure.
0: Um, that's true, but at the same time, I mean, she does argue for, you know, what she considers the good, So, um, I, I think she just feels like this is an overlooked situation that is going to go bad if she doesn't specifically do something and bring it up. Um, so I can understand where she's coming at from this. Uh, you know, okay. So like we said, he's still having these morphing problems, but they haven't pulled him off missions yet. They're still letting, you know, poodle Marco go terrorize Tenet and, uh, at, at home, uh, the, the, drama situation is just unfolding more with uh marco's dad trying to uh tell marco you know that he's he wants to marry nora and he wants marco to be okay with it and marco's just not ready for it yet so he walks out on him and uh then we move into like the final phase of the mission of this book well
1: you glossed over there's that. That a pretty big fight between marco's dad
0: yeah okay well what do you want to know about it what do we want to tell I don't, people I don't about need it.
1: to know anything about it. It's, just, it's one of the actually, my the my things.
0: job. My job, Coleman, is to summarize and, and inform, <laughs> and yours is to delve deep Comments into and... into the meaning and look for <laughs> for things to understand. What did I miss? Well, what well, is is my summary not
1: missing? Anything. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just I'm gonna embroden. Uh, that's not even a word. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to stretch this out a little bit because uh because it's an interaction we haven't seen between Marco and his dad. His dad obviously was just, you know, worthless for the last 2 years because of his mom dying, quote unquote dying. Um mm-hmm. but you know Marco took care of the house. He took care of the bills. He took care of everything like way more than a kid should. So his dad's kind of really indebted to to Marco. And now his dad's just moving on with his life and we've never seen this interaction between the two of them where Marco's like Flat out angry and yelling at his dad, which you think would have happened when his dad was, you know, stopped being a parent. You think that there would have been some big explosion over that. But Marco kind of got over that. This is like a bridge too far, and it must be sure. infuriating for a kid to know his mom is out there and still alive, probably, right? And maybe. and that's
0: that's another and, thing. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I wanted to bring up. Go ahead, finish your.
1: No, it's just it's it's like you're, what you're probably about to talk about. It's just it's how unfair that is that your mom is alive she's still your mom somewhere under that parasite and eh, you know your dad's just gonna move on and get married to some chick with a poodle you hate
0: (laughs) right yeah And, and and if it weren't for that fact that marco's mom is still actually alive and he knows about it and and has hope for one day you know rejoining his family together um if not for that his reaction, I think, would be very childish and and over the top um, about you know his dad wanting to uh, remarry. Um, Which and, that's yeah. great.
1: That's really cool, actually. That from his dad's perspective, he is a normal kid who's just mad that his dad's moving on.
0: Yeah, exactly. His dad's none the wiser. He thinks his kid's just having a really hard time, you know, adjusting to his his mom quote unquote being dead. Um, and, you know, he is technically right, Jake's dad. They both do need to move on from his mother's death. And, and in the case of his dad, he definitely needs to, you know, find new love or something to preoccupy him and make him happy. Um, Marco's case is very different.
1: Yeah. Uh, if, in his case, he needs to
0: go terrorize a man in uh, the body of a poodle.
1: <laughs> yeah. I do think after all the attempts to uh, shut down Tenet and get him to keep out the air, this one, while it's clever, I think it's way more clever than the other things they did. Um, it wraps up, it's one of those in missions that, hey, this wasn't really the point of the book, so we're going to wrap up the storyline nice and neat real quick.
0: Yeah, and, and come to think of it, I, I don't understand why they didn't consider going to his TV studio and messing with a live broadcast. Like, I don't, like the first thing. Why wouldn't they? From be the get go, yeah. go, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess this, this banquet thing was an opportunity.
1: They didn't want to rehash the book, uh, the plot of book eleven. That's that's why.
0: <laughs> sure. Oh yeah, uh, eleven or twelve. Eleven? You talking 12. the reaction? Might be twelve. Reaction?
1: Talking about the yeah, the crocodile.
0: That's twelve. Yeah. Okay. That's one I I think I've I've pretty well committed to memory. The first like twelve books or so I I know numbers pretty well. We start to lose it a bit when we get up into the 20s and whatnot. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they go into the TV studio and they're still letting Marco, you know, participate in the missions, um, which in this instance is not a good idea because uh, while he tries to go poodle here, uh, he ends up mixing it up with a polar bear. So he's like a polar bear sized poodle, <laughs> but with the the polar bear instincts and probably claws and teeth. Um, so he kind of, uh, freaks out and goes and attacks Tenet And he even has a moment where he's like thinking about it, like almost willingly, like, whatever, I don't care. I'm going to just do what the, the instincts of this animal wants. Cause it's making me feel good. Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, this is the moment I'm sure you were talking about where Cassie and Jake kind of have to talk him out of, you know, killing Tenet. and, and Cassie takes a very, uh, uh, <sighs> warm approach to, to talking Marco down, whereas Jake is like, Cassie, shut up. Marco, I'm your boss, <laughs> and you're doing this now. <laughs> like, he no, it's, he I, gets very firm was, with him.
1: I thought this was very clever writing because, uh, you know, you have Marco and Cassie paired up the whole book and her trying to therapeutically talk him through his... Yes, exactly. And what might be the problem? And then you have Jake who like actually knows Marco and is his best friend. Just being like, <laughs> bro, come on. And then Marco's like, yeah, you have a really good point. <laughs>
0: <It's> yeah. The- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, it does show a really cool divide, possibly, potentially in the uh, Jake and Cassie relationship where even Jake has to override friendship and relationship and, and establish commander, you know, protocol. Where, where you know, it, it really kind of drives home the fact that these kids are changing, especially Jake. And, you know, their relationships especially are, are changing and going to change more. <laughs> um, so and just yeah. like. Huh.
1: Well, I was just going to say, and I mean, their plan worked, even though it wasn't exactly how they wanted it to go down. Um, Tenant loses his crap on the air. Yeah,
0: yeah, well it really only works everybody. because Marco is able to demorph so to speak to just poodle. Like he cuts the yeah. the polar bear out and goes to just poodle and then this allows Tenet to basically pick him up and choke him and kick him and <laughs> abuse this poor Marco dog um, which of course happens in front of like the most important production people they keep mentioning like the the UPN guy <laughs> is, is coming to watch and there's even a funny moment where uh, they're they're talking about the UPN guy and Tobias is like oh, we should maybe like look into it because I, I kind of want to pitch him this idea I've had a, about a new Star Trek uh, series, <laughs> and then oh, like, I
1: like that because he goes into it and he's yeah, like, yeah, uh, he
0: starts explaining something, and I now I really want to ask uh, uh, Michael Grant if if he actually had the ability to make a new Star Trek series, what he'd do with it because I bet he'd have a really interesting idea.
1: I get the feeling that Michael Grant probably surely enjoyed Star Trek just as much, but that Kay Applegate was like the actual Trekkie of the relationship. Um, really? I don't know. I get that vibe from whenever they talk about Star Trek.
0: I, I, I always, to me, I, I just pictured that Michael Grant was the more sci-fi guy because before well, no, they he's, really he's like teamed the up for
1: the He's like the Michael Bay-loving sci-fi guy. I mean, just read their books. I, I feel like... Kay Applegate's more of the Star Trek fan, and and uh, Michael Grant's more of the Star Wars.
0: Oh, okay. Fan. So you're saying he he does more of like the action, the flashy yeah,
1: action, of sci-fi. the gore, uh, the war.
0: Catherine, I think, is more of the uh, <laughs> internal writer. You know, she likes dealing with yeah. uh, uh, family drama, relationships, it, things like the that,
1: philosophy, and yeah, yeah.
0: Um. So yeah, very interesting stuff. Um. The uh, d- 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 UPN guy, you know, freaks out and is like, oh, so we can't we can't have you on air. Not when you're abusing poodles and <laughs> ends his career there. And the 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 mission is a success. And everybody kind of wipes their hands of this story.
1: <laughs> and then incredibly quick. uh yeah. Oh, yeah, because we get a one chapter stinger here. We get a We get a stinger yeah.
0: end of uh, of the wedding of, of the team at the wedding, which is very sweet. You know, even Rachel cries um, and, and Marco's the best man. And <clears throat> it's just all it all ends well, I guess, until you get the stinger paragraph at the end, which is uh, Marco getting a phone call from Dun Dun Dun. Visitor one.
1: Yeah. And it's that to was, be continued.
0: Uh... Uh, there was a very nice surprise there.
1: Yeah, and it's not it didn't even feel like they're going for like I can't even remember. I the the David trilogy, they didn't like say to be continued, they just kinda like ended. I can't uh
0: remember. no, no, David trilogy had to be to, to be continued in okay. the ends. Um Fair there enough. there might have even been another to be continued or something along the lines of that somewhere. Uh sometimes yeah. they do like I think there was a to be continued in the Hork-Bajir Chronicles or something like that, or to be continued in Megamorphs number three, or I I don't know. Yeah, Um, we've seen it before. They they do nice little things like that, but I do think
1: you said I think you mentioned one of the Megamorphs, but I think this is the only one that continues on into a larger book. Besides the Hork-Bajir Chronicles being referenced in another book, this is the one that really feels like. OK, this they're doing like a Marvel style, uh, you know, cliffhanger. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, somewhat. I mean, it does feed into a completely unrelated story. Um, but, you know, they they managed to bring back one of the main characters and it, it all has to deal with Marco, essentially. So that's really how it ties into this book. Um, so that, that's the end of the book, by the way. We're, we're done with the, the proposal. Um, I, t- I don't know, man, I've, I've got such mixed feelings on this book.
1: I think I know what I want to give it. I don't, um, I don't mind going first if you don't mind.
0: Um, the review, real, real quick. I just, I don't know when would be a good time to throw this in. So I want to do it right now. There is one okay. interesting fact on the, um, the serial entry for this book. And that is, um, uh, apparently a lot of fans were asking K.A. Applegate why the Animorphs don't do like these hybrid morphs. Um, And so she took a moment to actually address that uh, because it would be a really, I thought, uh, useful ability to be able to combine morphs. You know, anything with plus bear claws is good. Or if they could just manage to morph bear claws in their their human forms, like that'd be a plus. So this is the way she addressed that. She says, well, you're assuming that melding animals would create something superior. Ain't necessarily so. Evolution is the process of adaptation. Each species is adapted to survive within a particular environment and a particular niche. The process takes a long time, billions of years, and you can't just come along and play mix and match, plugging Legos into linking logs and expect to come up with something that works. How do you join up the intestinal tracks of a polar bear and a shark, for example, <laughs> very carefully? And if you could meld a bear and a shark, where would they live? What would they eat? And wouldn't the other animals laugh at them? <laughs> That's her explanation. And uh, yeah, it's just a very simple way of saying, you know, the hybrid morphs don't work because internally it just doesn't it doesn't work out. Then it's not a viable uh, creation, not a viable species. Right. Right.
1: So. And yet they did hybrid morphs in this book, and I don't think he at any point said, Oh, my esophagus isn't matched up.
0: <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, my intestinal tract isn't coming out my sphincter. It's sticking out my armpit.
1: <laughs> Body parts would figure it out a, a way. I don't know. They could have... The idea of hybrid morphs is not any wackier than they went into a lot of these storylines.
0: Well, you know what would have uh, really driven the point home? For that is if when he did one of these hybrid morphs, it wasn't just like, oh, no, I'm in the wrong morph kind of freak out. If it physically caused him horrible agony and pain. And like yeah. that was the main problem with it. Like as soon as you morphed into that, he like started dying um, like that would really have driven the point home. But instead, you got him as a spider skunk kind of zipping around on the floor, talking to people. And, you know, you just didn't really feel that. Um, so I, I, yeah, I want to hear your review and, um, uh, that's the end of that tangent. (laughs) Unless you had more to say on it.
1: No, no, no. I thought that was good. You wrapped it up nicely. Anyway. Uh, so uh, yeah, this book, I, I mean, I, I came away from it really liking a lot of the elements, really liking the concepts. I like what they did with Marco. I like the idea of him interacting with his dad in a, uh, meaningful way. Um, but you know, I really, didn't think too much about it afterwards and spent about a week from reading it to this episode and forgot a lot of that plot and I don't mean like um, I had a lot of my mind or too much was going on like honestly it just very very slippery in the sense that it didn't it didn't affect much it didn't really affect the anthology. It was a good book it was fine um, just didn't really have a huge impact and I, I wish they would have spent a little more time at the end kind of wrapping things up um you know had had more of a wedding scene or i I don't know i don't know really what i want at the end of the book but i just wish it would have been fleshed out more and i wish i wish that the book leading into visor and was specifically promoting visor would have had a little more to do with that like like you mentioned like some book where their events are happening at the same time as the trial and visor would have been incredible that would have been really really cool um but we don't get any of that, so it's it's a good book. I don't think people should skip it. I think it's a nice little Marco book. And obviously, you need to know that his dad gets married because that that might factor into books in the next uh, you know next ten or twelve books before she gets taken or whatever. Uh, but anyway, fine book, pretty good. I'm gonna give it three out of five poodles. Um, right <laughs> middle you know. of the road. Okay.
0: There you go. Um, I I think you actually said it quite well. And for that reason, uh, my review will probably be kept short. Uh, Like you, I feel like this is a solid three out of five uh, cockatiels book. um, Ah, Because it's got so much that really reminds me of the core elements of this series. Right. Like we've said, it feels like it could fit in. Almost anywhere in the series, it's got that really old school, uh, uh, reconnaissance mission vibe to it. Um, not really strong, uh, uh, characterization of villains. I mean, there's no visor three or even visor one, uh, in this book. And, and like you said, it might've benefited from a little visor one. Um, definitely happy that, that there wasn't, uh, much visor three in this, um, you know, it's just got a lot of the stuff that I like I had were character moments um, between Cassie and, and Marco, Cassie and Jake. Uh, uh, I thought Rachel acted a little bizarre in this book. Um, so that wasn't the strongest, I guess. But, you yeah. know, like you said, it, the, the biggest problem is that once you're done reading it, you go right into such a much better book that you immediately forget everything except the most important points from this book which are that uh, uh marco's dad got remarried um that's really all you need to take away from this book and it would have been just just that extra little the bit that would have set it over into maybe four maybe five territory if they had thrown in some more visor one and tied it in a little bit more strongly to visor but um for, you know for everything that it is
1: a larger part of the book too
0: uh, sure, sure. They, they had so many great uh, uh, references. I mean, pop culture up the wazoo in this. It's just really everything we, we've we come to love about Animorphs. Just just very mild. And the fact that it didn't really do anything new uh, definitely hurt it and, and made it more forgettable. So that's why it ends up in that, that middle grade area where um, I still think it, it was a pretty enjoyable book. But all in all, like you said, we both had... A hard time recalling the the real specifics of what happened within it. Because the plot points are so spread out and almost you know unrelated that it it all just feels like it's barely held together, I guess. <laughs> but uh what I'm really excited about is is going right into Visor, because holy crap, as soon as I finished this book, man, I was like, well, I don't know when we're recording this episode or the next one, so I'm just going to start Vizzer. <laughs> and I did. Uh, I-, I couldn't wait to get into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Vizzer is incredible, and we're going to be hearing, you're going to be hearing us talk about that very soon. Um, but yeah, this book is just, uh, its I, w- I almost wish it would be placed somewhere else in the series so that we could appreciate it more, maybe. <laughs>
0: Sure. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um maybe if uh Tenet himself was a little bit more memorable, I guess, as a villain, but really just seemed like an obstacle in their way. Um and, and the mission itself was a little zany. Um it, it's no it's no eels through a fire hose, I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> Very true. On 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 multiple levels. Um <laughs> but yeah, well that's that's the proposal. Uh I think we both enjoyed it. I don't think you should skip it, but again, you know, wait a week, see if you can actually remember what happened in it. Um, (laughs) Right. It'll be
0: like you skipped it. (laughs) You'll, you'll come out of it with the base knowledge that somebody got married. I think
1: (laughs) maybe, maybe that's why everybody uh, is so hardcore on this book. And, and, you know don't like it because they just forgot that it was okay and pretty good.
0: <laughs> well, I I think it gets a pretty general positive vibe. I think most people do enjoy this one mostly because it's a Marco book and that's that's it, man. I think it skates by on the fact that it is a Marco book because if this had been from like Cassie's perspective well, actually, okay, that's a bad example. I think Cassie would have had a great perspective on this. <laughs> if it had been from Tobias's perspective, not as good of a story, right? Okay. But, okay, Cassie's perspective might have might have been an improvement, actually.
1: There would have been a lot more cockatiel <laughs> uh, complaining if this would have been a Tobias book.
0: Hey, possibly. But you know what? Even that harkens back to the beginning of the series. Now I feel like they would just murder animals if it suited their cause. <laughs>
1: yeah exactly yeah. Um, so that's
0: our that's our review well, let's get to the plugs
1: okay so uh yeah I hope you guys enjoyed uh, our our book uh 30 would you say 35 is that what this 30, 35 that's what we're on 35 <laughs> yeah book 35 the proposal hope you enjoyed us talking about it um we haven't we didn't if you notice we went straight into the uh, book review this week because we didn't have any new reviews. Uh, no shout-outs uh, on our email, thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com, and uh, no, no reviews on iTunes.com. So if you want to hear more from us, if you want to hear your words said through our sultry tones, um, you know, j- jump on iTunes, leave us a review. Uh, let us know what you think of the, of the podcast. Um, those really help us get out to more people and, and let the show widen its audience. Um, if you haven't yet, check out our Patreon
0: Yeah, Uh, you know what? Hey, I I really got to mention here that we made a serious blunder in in forgetting to go into our uh, Patreon uh, subscribers and thank them all at the beginning. So what we're actually going to do is is do that now that you bring it up because Patreon is a huge, huge, huge part of why this podcast exists and is able to go on and go strong because of of, of great uh, patrons that support us uh, monetarily. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much, and uh, as soon as I'm able to uh, pull up the uh, list of people I'm going to thank, it's coming, I promise you, here it is. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to start at the bottom of the list. Uh, You know what, I'm just going to go through all of them because... there's so many. Okay. So thank you very much to Spencer, Jack Hunter, Ben Freeman, Jennifer Baker, James Miola, Tim Aheen, Kendra, Kevin Koslowski, Graith, Tony Pazek, Noah Troutman, uh, Dan Zander, Danielle Martinoli, uh, Nita Labrada, Gaffaro, uh, Michael Blemick. Uh, Sorrent Joyce, and, and one of our newest subscribers, uh, the mysterious Mr. Sundown. I don't know who you are, <laughs> but my god, man, thank you. Thank you for your sounds... patronage. Uh, uh, what are you saying?
1: Oh, I was just saying Mr. Sundown sounds like a, a character from American Gods or something. Uh, yeah,
0: it kind of does. Well, it's no. just Sundown, but I, I think it sounds so much oh. cool if it's Mr. Sundown. But, <laughs> Mr. Uh, sundown. So that's our Patreon. Please check it out at patreon.com slash ThoughtSpeak. Uh, maybe consider becoming a, a subscriber and help us out. Uh, we try to get the episodes out earlier to folks that uh, subscribe to that um, by a day or two. Uh, it's, it's really it just helps us out so much. And you're going to mention iTunes and stuff and, and the ratings and reviews we get on there. Uh, do that, too.
1: We, I will. I mean, in our ratings and reviews, they help us out a ton, but nothing, like you said, nothing helps us out like our Patreon, which supports the show, lets us, uh, pay for our website and everything else that we're doing. And, uh, that's really the biggest incentive we have for getting out the next episode is, is the fact that we know you guys are listening and that you're supporting the show with your own hard earned money. We, we incredibly appreciate that. So I, I thank you all for that. And, um, Again, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. Just search ThoughtSpeak on Google. We're like the first 15 results. Um, so, you know, you check out our Michael Grant episode or interview that's uh, had a resurgence. Lately. I don't know if you've seen this, but um, our interview with Michael Grant has is now at the top of Reddit's Animorphs page. And
0: Oh, yeah, you know, um, you know I saw that somebody did a, a transcript of, of the interview, and that's really, really appreciated. That's so cool. Um, thank you so yeah, much for we, for going we need through subscribing transcribing that.
1: We need to get that on our website, the transcription of it. Um, yeah,
0: they, they just did the Animorphs specific parts, not any of the, the chat or questions we had about his other properties. Um, but yeah. still, very, very cool, very relevant. Check it out.
1: Yeah. So, Well, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, check out our next episode, which is going to be a big one. Uh, it's it's going to be us talking about Vizzer, which is, I mean, I'm not even going to try to hide it. It's one of my favorite books in the entire series. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Right I mean, our, our scores are going to be pretty self-evident, just the way we're uh, talking about it here. But yeah, please come back and join us for Vizzer. We are so excited, and that episode will be out soon, we promise. Uh, until then, I have been your host guy, Mitchell. And I'm Coleman. And we will see you in Vizzer.